Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arsblog.com. Hope you're well. An absolutely cracking show for you today. It's like up there with the best ever. Seriously, it's going to be like... <laughs> oh. oh, sorry, sorry. Um... Just thought of Chelsea there for a second, and well, you know how it goes. Tend to, you know, things when they're that boring. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, a good show. We do have a good show for you today. Two guests. That's pretty good. And also, this is Arsecast number 350. 350! That is a pretty round figure. I don't know if it's a landmark, though, is it? 349, 351, they're both big numbers, 350, it's a nice round number in between them, but hey, here we are, Arsecast 350, who would have thought it back in the day, eh? I certainly didn't, no way, 350 of these later, I remember the first one or two, I got this USB microphone, I remember it well. This is when I just moved back from Spain, I think, and I was working at one end of the sitting room table. Mrs. Bloggs was working at the other end of the sitting room table. And, you know, um, working in such close proximity to people is is not always manageable. And I remember when I was starting the podcast, I I used to have to say to her, you know, can you sort of go out for a while? Because I've got to record a, a podcast. And she was like, what the hell is a podcast? I was going, well, it's kind of a radio show thing you just kind of do, and then people listen, and you know. But you can't do it when someone's there. You know, you can't do it. It's like when someone says to you, sing. You're like, um, well, I can't just sing because you say, so it was a bit like that. So Mrs. Bloggs used to have to go all for an hour. She'd walk the dog, the old Bassett. Oh, poor old Opus. But anyway, she'd walk him, and, and I sat there with a microphone. I didn't have... Anything else, just the microphone. So I think for one, I kind of held it in my hand, but you can hear, or you can always hear that, like, kind of, you know, when people have got microphones, like that no- noise and stuff. So then I decided I needed something to, to hold a microphone up. What could that be? Far be it for me to invest in a microphone stand or anything. No, for about the first 10 episodes, I had the microphone placed in this jar. It was a, like a pewter mug. Uh, an arsenal mug that the mug smasher actually got me, made of pewter, so even he can't smash it to bits, which contained all my pens and pencils. 
Um, and I'd like prop the microphone up in that and sort of lean in sideways. And, and you know, it was just, yeah. So there you go. The good old days, the good old days of arse casting. But then I got my office upstairs in the, the first house we had. It was great. Completely and utterly like soundproof. It was dead because pretty much everything that we owned had come back from Spain and was in cardboard boxes in there. So there was no echoey walls or anything like that. And then 349 of them later, here we are. Here we are. Um, it's been a quiet enough week. Had some technical issues on the site this week, which uh, were a little bit annoying. And apologies to anybody who was inconvenienced by them. I know that our apps weren't working. The iPhone app and the um, the Android app. And what was quite curious were people who were telling me on Twitter, man, why hasn't there been a blog for the last two days? And I said, well, there there has been. And they said, no, there hasn't. I, You know, I'm looking here and there just hasn't. Like I'm like refreshing the app and it's it's not working. It's just, there hasn't been, and I was going, there has been a blog. It just, you know, how about, you know, visiting the website? The guy was like, wow, I never even thought of that. I never even, it never even occurred to him to go visit the website. Because uh, I guess people just consume things in different ways these days. If you get used to using the app, you go, well, the app's not working. Well, fuck that. I'm not going to try any other possible way of getting it. Well, I think people just get very used to getting things in a certain fashion. Then all of a sudden, when that doesn't work, they're bereft. They're at a loss. They're so wrapped up in, in what's wrong that they can't think about an alternative. So, for future reference, if our apps go down, we have this backup plan known as a website. And you can go to it in a browser and you type in www.arsblog.com and it will take you to the website. Unless, of course, there's some shenanigans going on with the website where typing in that brings you to a page that's trying to sell you handbags. And, uh, well, that was kind of what was going on this week. But hopefully, hopefully, if you did buy a handbag... It will arrive, and it's just the handbag that you're looking for. I accept no responsibility for it. We don't do any after-sales. Not that it was me. We don't do any kind of after-sales service on that. So if the handbag you bought is not up to scratch, it's uh, the whole caveat emptor thing going on there, I'm afraid. No refundsies, whatever. The other thing that I wanted to touch on was... Oh, did it again. Just very briefly, even for half a second, thought of Chelsea. Spark out completely just there. So boring. Whew. Want to watch that. Right, well, look, I'll tell you what we better do is get on with something a bit more Arsenal-ish because that will keep us awake. So first up this week, uh, I thought it might be interesting to get a little look at what's going on below the first team, the under-21s, the under-18s. Things aren't really going as well as people might like. Uh, so who better to talk to than uh, our resident youth expert here on Ars Blog News. He does a column every week, and he's obviously got his own blog, uh, Arsenal Youth. Uh, it's George Bird. Hello there. Oh, hi. Um, it's not been a particularly good season for the underage uh, teams at Arsenal. The 
the under-21s currently sitting uh, in sixth place and it looks like they're going to play another season in the second division. Um, the under-18s not doing particularly well either. They're second from bottom. Only four wins from 22 games all season. Um, is there a good explanation for, for why this is happening? Um, well, one of the things that Arsenal are renowned for at youth level was that um, they often play players above their age group. So you'll get a lot of under-15s and under-16s playing in the under-18s. Mm. And you'll get a lot of under-18s in the under-21s. And obviously they're not going to have a, a lot of experience of that level of football. And they can make a lot of like tactical and technical mistakes. But a lot of them are really talented players. But they haven't like reached that stage in their development yet. But Arsenal want to get them ready so they can move up like to the other levels as quickly as possible. But that brings like, a, lot of, a lot of negative consequences in terms of results. But but then you get um, players like pushing into the first team like earlier, like players like Isaac Hayden, Chubakwam, and Hector Bellerin were promoted at the start of this season. So mm-hmm. in that respect, the youth system is working. But in terms of actual results, it's been a really bad season, as it has been for the last few years, really. So I mean, it's in a, in a, in a way, it's sort of throwing them in at the deep end to see. Um, whether they they sink or swim to an extent, um, is that has that always been the policy, or is that dependent on, like you say, certain players being moved up and, and necessary for the for the first team? Um, I think it's a combination of both, really. But in the second half of the season, usually, like especially in the under 18s they always play like a lot of really young players, like fifteen, sometimes even like fourteen year olds, right. just to get them ready for the next season. But the problem with Arsenal is that. At their Hayland Academy, which is from the ages of um, 8 to 16, uh, when they can sign a scholarship at 16, but they're not producing enough uh, quality defenders. And at youth level, like in the youth games, they tend to make a lot of mistakes, like the youth defenders. But in contrast, we've got a lot of like, good attacking like, young talents coming through the ranks, but they can't like, carry the teams like, on their own. And it's usually down to the defenders who make the mistakes, really. Given the fact that Arsenal have recently changed the system to a certain extent, obviously Andreas Jonker and his staff are in there now. Um, th- that's been obviously done for, for a good reason, that they felt things weren't going as well as they should be. They wanted to plan for the future. There's obviously uh, redevelopment being done both at the uh, London Colony Training Grounds and at the Hale End Academy. So is there perhaps some of what's going on down to the fact that things had got to a point where they really, really badly needed to be improved? And also, uh, with Yonker coming in, it's a change of style, perhaps, or perhaps that change of style is having an impact. Yeah, well, Jonker has tried to implement um, like quite a few changes. Um, he's tried to get the teams playing like a higher pressing game, and that looked like to be working in the first half of the season. But recently, like, it hasn't really been like, paying dividends as much. But um, he's brought in like a couple of new coaches, like Franz de Cat for the under 18s and he got off to a really good start. But um, recently, like things have been going. Like, really badly but he kept some of the um, coaches who were still there um, and promoted them to the under 21s like Steve Gatton but he hasn't really done like, too well this season either but I think um, with Jonker it's going to take like several years to see really like, the fruits of what he can do because he's trying to make like, subtle changes he hasn't really changed like lots of things but he's trying to make like little changes but so far like 
you can't really see much improvement but mm. maybe like in a couple of years time we'll be able to see but at the moment it doesn't look as if like too much has changed for the better to be honest yeah and is that something that will probably be addressed in the summer because he only came in last year and then i suppose it's very difficult to come in straight away and see what it is that you need to do where it is that you need to make changes, whether that's to uh, the coaching setup, to to the the managers, the people who are in charge of these teams. Uh, you've got to maybe give them a year and see, uh, you know, how they perform. And at that point, you can make decisions about what you need to do in the future. So more informed decisions, I should say. Yeah, I think that's the case. But I think there could be some coaching changes um, like this summer. I think I wouldn't be surprised if like, Steve Gatton and Carl Aram and the current under twenty one coaches are let go and replaced like maybe by Dutch coaches um I would have liked to have seen um Patrick Vieira like, come back to the club in some capacity because he's doing such a good job at Man City but it's a shame that it doesn't really look like he's going to come back to Arsenal like in terms of like youth development at the moment but mm. I think getting people who know the club well and or maybe somebody who's come through the youth system themselves like in the past would be beneficial like in terms of passing their knowledge on as to how like, difficult it is to progress through the ranks and the steps needed to do that. People look at these youth teams and the uh, the amount of players that are there and they've got more information than they ever had before about these guys, you know, between your website, the columns, the, the coverage that the club have, the, uh, the footage that's available now of these guys. And they like to think that most of them have the potential to become first-team players at Arsenal. And that's pretty much not the case because uh, so few of them actually make it in the end. Um, we've seen Hector Bellerin make a breakthrough this season and perhaps a little bit of a surprise breakthrough, even though he was obviously a player well-rated. Um, who are the names that could make it to the fringes of the first team next season because I don't think we're going to see anybody really break through to to the first team but who could put themselves in the picture um, for Arsene Wenger and and how much of that will depend on on who's still around uh, from the first team? Well I think the two most obvious ones that most people will be aware of are um, Gedeon Zelalem and Dan Crowley, two central midfielders um, who are now in their nearing the end of their second like, full season at the club and they both developed well this season despite the disappointing results and I think they both will be integrated into the first team squad at some point. Zellalem's already part of the squad but he hasn't really been training with them that much this season but I think they both have potential to uh, break into the team in the future and they could maybe play in the League Cup next season but in the long term I find it a bit difficult to see how they'll fit in if like, Wilshire and Ramsey and Urzu are still there. I don't know exactly how they're going to break into the team, but mm. those two have like, a lot of potential. And um, Julio Flegazulio is a centre-back who was signed from Barcelona a couple of years ago, and he's just come back from injury, but he's a very good prospect as well, and maybe he might be used if there was a defensive crisis again. Right, so I mean, are we looking at somebody who could do more than perhaps somebody like Ignacy Mikel could do because he was obviously very highly rated for for a time as well? Well, Plegazulio can play at right back as well, but he's a lot stronger at centre back. Um, I think there are like quite a lot of comparisons between him and Mikel in terms of their technique and playing style, but he's a lot shorter than Mikel was. But right. he's very good on the ball. He can start attacks. He's a very good reader of the game. I think he will get an opportunity to show what he can do. Um, very soon but as you said Mikel was highly rated as well so I find it difficult at this stage to say like, whether he'll 
be able to do better than Mikel did, but I think he will at least make some first team appearances in the future. Yeah, and are we looking maybe for for Crowley and Zellalem? Are we looking at, at loan spells? Are they ready for that? Zellalem is a little bit ahead of Crowley in terms of age, isn't he? So, are we are we looking at that being the next step to their Arsenal development that they they go out on loan if and when Arsenal um, crash out of the Capital One Cup? Um, but I think it's maybe a little bit early for them next season. They're both like very good technically, but physically they still have like some development to do and tactically as well um Zellerland, for example like, often loses the ball in dangerous situations and that can lead to counter-attacks like, from the other team so i think they both still have some things to improve on but i think they could like both slowly be embedded into the team next season for example if Rosicki or somebody like that left then maybe they might get on the bench for a few games and maybe play like, a few premier league like, minutes like, at the end of games but i think Maybe a loan spell was like a bit too early, and it wouldn't happen until the following season because they still got like some growing to do, and they've got a lot of learning to do as well. So I think they'll be like embedded in like, via the League Cup first of all, and then maybe go on loan the following season. All right, okay, well, brilliant, George. We better leave it there. Thanks as always, and uh, people can uh, read your website and, of course, your column every week on RS Blog News. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much to George. You can find him on Twitter at George Bird. George spelt with a J. You'll find his column every week on Arse Blog. Uh, he writes about the Arsenal use for us, whether it's player profiles or what's going on in general. It's always a very interesting column. That's at news.arseblog.com. And, of course, his own blog, which you should be following if you're not already. It is arsenalyouth.wordpress.com. That's arsenalyouth.wordpress.com. A little bit later, we'll be looking ahead to the Hull game, which of course is taking place on Monday because TV companies are wankers. I was supposed to be at this very moment in time in Boston. It's true. It was going to be a big event over there. The uh, Arsenal America, Boston Gooners, New Haven Gooners. Everybody was like going to uh, come together over the course of that weekend to watch the whole game and there was going to be five-a-side tournament and all kinds of stuff and then, then they moved the game to a Monday and it pretty much fucked it up for everybody. So there you go. Thanks, TV companies. I could be in in Boston right now hanging out with Denny Crane. That'd be fun for a while until such time as you have to leave because probably you're going to get arrested or, or shot, one or the other. And, you know, I quite like um, the other guy. What's his name? James Spader. But I'd say he gets up to some mad shit, James Spader. He's got that look, doesn't he, on his face? That he's he's like into the into the bad stuff, probably. He did he do it with a bit of class, but still, you know, I'm not sure I'm I would be ready for that. But I guess we'll never know because of the people who run the scheduling in Sky Sports. Just thinking about what might have been, but hey, I'm sure we'll do it again at some stage in the future, uh, assuming that. The uh, fixture they arrange the event around next time doesn't also get completely fucked at really short notice. But hey, that's the world we live in now. 5.1 billion gets you a lot of sway over when the games take place. Right, let's move on with our second guest of the Arscast this week. I'm delighted to welcome back from The Guardian, our old friend, Paolo Bandini. Hi there. Hi, Andrew. Uh, How are you? I'm very well, actually, yeah. I feel like life is good at the moment. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, we won't go into details. No need. Um, let's uh, let's touch a little bit on on Chelsea 
to start with because it's been a, the the story of the week. Um, after a, a bit of mild teasing from the Arsenal fans, you know they've gone on and on about it all week. So I mean, are Chelsea boring? Are we bored of Chelsea saying that they're not boring? I mean, wh- where is this going? It's all very meta. I, I mean, of course they can be boring. I thought they were definitely boring in the second half on. Uh, uh, now I'm losing my marbles. Sunday, not Saturday. Yeah, um, yeah. It was. Uh, they were definitely boring in the second half on Sunday. It's not the first time they've played in that way. I think they were very similar in their approach against uh, Manchester United as well at Stamford Bridge. Um, and I honestly don't blame them in the slightest for it. You know, I'm, I've been following Arsenal as I'm, I'm sure of you, uh, as I know you have, uh, in fact, for for long enough to remember what it was like winning sometimes under George Graham. And much mm-hmm. as I can say that I prefer. Uh, watching Arsenal when they're winning under Arsene Wenger and everything's wonderful, I think it was still pretty satisfying winning under George Graham. So, you know, I, I completely understand why they're boring, but I don't uh, I don't think anyone could have watched that second half in particular, the way they approached it, and say that wasn't a, a boring way to approach a football game. Mm, I guess they're, prob- they're probably regretting that they weren't that boring against PSG at home. <laughs> I didn't think that. It's a, it's a strange thing, Chelsea's season, because I... I I felt very early on in the season that they were going to walk away with the title and, and they sort of, um, there was a period in the middle, I guess, when City were hanging with them and it wasn't necessarily looking that uh, that straightforward. But in the end, they have got to this point where, you know, they're 10 points clear and there's no time left and they're, they're going to walk it again. Mm. Um, and I I don't, I sort of don't understand how how they can be that confident in England and, and then really that uh, that lacking in confidence against PSG. I mean, especially having scored the away goal, they really didn't have much pressure on them to, to to press against PSG to go forwards, and I suppose the answer is that both the goals they conceded in that game came from set pieces. And if you can if you can do that against Chelsea, which isn't easy because they've got a lot of they're big you know they're a big team physically, uh, then then maybe that's one way to undo them and, and force them to come out more. But it's uh, it, it it is surprising. I find it odd, and it, you know I guess it's a, a bit of an indictment of the English game that the, the best team in England by that many points is is struggling at the moment. In yeah. Europe. Well, well, they're out, so that's that's the main thing. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we, I mean, we all know where the title is going to go. Had Arsenal uh, beaten Chelsea on Sunday, there might have been the faintest, faintest glimmer, but uh, obviously that wasn't to be. And then their midweek result has made it more or less. Uh, I think they just have to. Is it a point from their next game? Is that all? Uh, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm whatever it is, you know, fuck no. it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, the rest of the top four, I think, is pretty much nailed on between Arsenal, Manchester United and Manchester City. The question, of course, is uh, the order that they're going to finish in. Um, Arsenal on 67 points along with Manchester City, but with a game in hand. Does that give us the the edge for second place? I think Arsenal probably do have the edge at the moment, but there is the big uh, caveat there in that Arsenal do still need to go to Old Trafford, which, much as uh, the FA Cup win earlier this season was fantastic, I think you can't take that for granted. Um, and uh, that's you know that that game, both uh, both in terms of the points and, and what it might mean to end of season uh, confidence, I guess, is, is significant. But it, it feels to me, I, I almost don't want to say it because I don't want to, Temp fate. It does feel to me like I, I sort of feel like Arsenal should be the favourites to finish second at the moment, just because they're playing with such confidence. There's none of the anxiety that's normally there at this time of the year about oh well maybe we'll slip out of the top four altogether. Obviously, fourth is a lot worse than, than second or third because you have to deal with that that qualifier. But still, it's a very different thing to asking are we even going to be in the top four? And it's just it's just been there's no real indication to me that Arsenal are about to start 
dropping dropping points in a, in a big way. I think the teams mm. come together really well. I think, yeah, they they found their their limit perhaps to a certain extent against Chelsea, and as much as when a team really set itself, a very very good team set itself out to to just stop Arsenal from scoring, they were able to succeed at that. But there's no real reason for anyone else the rest of the way to try and do that to them. So, yeah. um, so I and I, I think I. I feel pretty good about Arsenal's chances of, of, fin- of finishing top of that little mini table, I guess, of the three teams by Chelsea. Something that was interesting that uh, Andrew Allen pointed out to me this week um, is that Arsenal, at this point of the season, last season, after the same number of games, had two points more hmm. than they do this time around. So it feels hugely different, doesn't it, th- this season, even though we've got fewer points. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, so perception is, is a really interesting thing. Um, yeah, that's, that's, obviously a, a title challenge fell away. Um, this time it, it didn't really get going and we've, we've picked up. But the, the mood is significantly different. I, uh, aside from the points, which is, you can touch on, obviously, but um, is it because we can see progress in the team and the way that it's playing and the way it might develop? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, uh, you know, that is interesting. I didn't know about the points. So that's an interesting thing to, to hear. But I guess there's, there's two elements to that. First of all is, is you always feel more confident about your team when it's winning. And, and Arsenal are on, you know, that's, you know, unquestionable Arsenal are on a very good run at the moment. So I guess it's easier if you're at this point of the season, you happen to be in the middle of a winning run to say, oh, it's, it's good to feel confident. But I uh, I think there's there's more to it than that, just because when you look at the the, the shape of Arsenal season, I guess, it's not like this run of form has, has come out of nothing. This run of form has come off the back of having a healthy squad, having Giroud back from his broken leg and, and scoring uh, absolutely bucket loads of goals. I mean, really, is, is you know, goals per minute. So I think you mentioned this on the site the other day. I wrote about it uh, about a month ago. His goals per minute stand up to Aguero and Costa. He's not in some... Uh, he, he's not just in, a, in a, you know, a, a decent run of scoring form. He's in a really exceptional run of scoring form and, and has been basically as long as he's been fit the entire season. So I think uh, him, and then obviously at the beginning of the season when so many of those points were dropped, it was the the defense was missing players, and you mm. had uh, a lot. You know, you had, we, we saw a lot of Callum Chambers. We haven't seen a lot of recently. We didn't have Hector Bellerin in the side, who's I think's been fantastic recently. Certainly didn't have Coquelin playing at the level he was playing at now. So it's not like this this run of form is is just a a, a moment in time that's come about for for no obvious reason. It's come about because you've got what looks like. A, 
a slightly different starting eleven to what was there at the, at the beginning of the season, and a starting eleven that really seems to have clicked together. Mm. So, oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's you know, that's why I'd feel good about it. That's why I think I, I do look at this team and think it is in a better place than, than last year. And also, there were there were moments of last season that were quite traumatic. Um, you know, there were there were some defeats, and a defeat, you know, you can live with. But when you get, you know, handed your arse on a plate the way we were a couple of times, that obviously affects things as well. Yeah, and 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 conversely, there have been these these sort of high points this season of being able to. This has been the knock on Arsenal, hasn't it? Recent years, can they beat the big teams? Well, it's frustrating, and I think that's why. To be honest with you, I think ever since Chelsea uh, beat QPR in a game where they really didn't play very well, I think that was the point where I I, I thought the title race that. But everyone else needed Chelsea to drop those points to start believing again a little bit. And then when they beat United as well, I think we were at a point already where even if Arsenal had won at the weekend, it probably wouldn't have mattered. But I just think psychologically that would have been a, a great hurdle to clear, beating Chelsea, obviously, with Wenger's record and never having beaten Mourinho. I think that that would have been one more important hurdle to clear. But you still have got uh, this season wins over United at Old Trafford, wins over Manchester City, wins really emphatic win over Liverpool. So there's lots of there's lots to hold on to there in terms of games that people, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, the narrative has certainly been in the last few years. Arsenal don't win those games and, and they've won those games this season. All right. Well, you mentioned Olivier Giroud and um, there were things said about him this week. Uh, I wrote about it on the blog. Thierry Henry had an opinion about him. Um, and I don't really want to touch on that because we spoke a lot about Giroud on the podcast last week. But what's interesting to me is Thierry Henry and this new role that he's got as a Sky pundit. Um, for some Arsenal fans, I, I think this is going to be quite testing because they feel that, like fans of many clubs, they feel that th- their own club gets a raw deal in the media because we know everything about our club and mm-hmm. then the media tend to generalize or or there are some you know lazy assumptions here and there and that drives people mad. Um, and it's rare to have somebody they feel to, that will stick up for your club. And, and Henri has always been an Arsenal man, a real Arsenal man. We know that. Um, uh, and he's spoken about it enough, but there's going to come a point where he's going to have to be critical about certain aspects of the club or certain players. The way he was, I thought it was a little bit misplaced, a bit of a soft target to go after Giroud, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Mm. But, you know, that doesn't make him the worst person in the world, except for some people, it kind of does. You know, that there's this um, an intolerance to criticism. So uh, how are people going to cope with, Thierry Henry, the player, the greatest striker that the club has ever had, the greatest goal scorer, with Thierry Henry, who might say some things from time to time that they don't like. I mean, this is you know, this is classic. Never meet your heroes, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. one thing when you when you're watching someone playing football and, and doing uh, you know doing a, a very particular job, but it's another thing when you find out more about uh, uh, I guess their their opinions and views. I mean, mm. look, I, I you know, I think that's a, a something that comes up whenever you have a, a player who goes on to be a pundit. And there's, there's lots of other Arsenal players who, who've you know, made careers themselves in punditry. Obviously, uh, Lee Dixon, Martin Keogh, we see quite a lot of. Uh, Paul Merson, maybe not in punditry, but we see him on, you know, on Sky Sports News and other places like that. And yeah, I mean, the more you're exposed to anybody, the more chance there is they're going to say something you don't like. Uh, and it's not Henri's job to go and, and be in the studio and, and only say positive things about Arsenal. I think <laughs> maybe sometimes to, to draw the parallel with another uh, beloved Arsenal striker, maybe sometimes with Ian Wright, that is pretty much what he does is go in there and, <laughs> and just say great things about Arsenal, which, you know, uh, as a fan is is sometimes uh, nice just to have that. But 
um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not his job to be always uh, always support Arsenal, and I you know, don't agree with him on Giroud at all. But that's it's not um, you know that's not a it's not his role. His role, if Sky are going to employ him, is not to, to always just be positive. That's that's not what they want him for. Yeah, I do feel he's still kind of finding his feet a little bit in this new role. I mean, I don't have a huge amount of time for for punditry, and I, I mean that, I don't mean that I don't care for it. There is an element of that that I don't actually give a shit, but there's also, <laughs> I just don't have the time for it, because I'm not going to sit down for an hour before an Arsenal game and watch the the guys talking as the fans come into the stadium. If there's something at halftime, then sure, I'll, you know, I'll watch it just to see if, uh, what the opinion is on a, an incident, if it's contentious or if it's something I want to see again. And after the game, I'm generally doing other things, working or, you know, so I don't have a huge amount of time for it. But there's sort of um, people have been a little bit surprised at uh, maybe how bland he's been. And uh, that's that's obviously changed this week. Uh, do you think there's pressure from within Sky for him to be a bit more of a personality? I, you know, I, I find that a really hard question to answer for a couple of reasons. The first is that, uh, like yourself, I, just, uh, I don't find myself um, watching in, in huge swathes the sort of pre and post game stuff i think often i'm at games or if i am watching the game uh, on tv there's there's either another game for me to be watching right afterwards or yeah. there's uh, something else i should be doing so i i don't really find myself uh uh take you know i guess uh taking in a, a whole lot of, of tv punditry in that way um and i don't um I don't, you know, I don't have any inside take from Sky on in terms of what their expectations are. So I, I don't know if I can really speak to that in a very mm. thoughtful way, particularly, I'm afraid. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, look, we'll, we'll move on. Um, Theo Walcott talking about how difficult it is to, to get back into the to get back into the Arsenal team at this moment in time. And given that his contract is uh, got 12 months to run come the summer, the fact that he's played 25 minutes out of the last 930 for Arsenal must surely be giving him pause for thought. I mean, is it... Uh, it's not unimaginable that he might feel that in order to play as much as he wants to play, that he's going to have to think about moving on in the summer. Yeah, I, yeah, and it's, it's, I think it's a, a tricky one um, for, for Theo. I think it's a tricky one probably for, for lots of fans as well. I still don't know how I feel about uh, Walcott moving on. He's one of those players who I, there's, there's still this part of me that can imagine him uh, him going on somewhere else and, and being a really big success. But I, I don't I don't see the way that Arsenal play football at the moment, the way that things have, have shaped up now with, with this team, with Meza Ozil in it, with Sanchez in it, with Santi in it. Mm. Um, I, I don't see where he fits in that starting 11 or where he's going to fit in that starting 11. I mean, obviously, he's talked in the past about playing as a as a, as a straight centre forward, well, there's only one in this team, and it's going to be Giroud as, as the default, and then you've got Danny Welbeck competing for that place as well. I don't, uh, I don't see where where he's going to where he's going to get that regular starting time. Now, the thing with with Theo is certainly, uh, you know, historically, I, I feel like you could say he's been an extremely effective player to bring off the bench, and he makes sense a lot as a player off the bench because mm. he's incredibly fast. And if you're in a game where people where legs are getting tired, then he's he's a great person to have. But is that going to satisfy him? Quite possibly not, especially because, frankly, he hasn't even been getting that much time off the bench. I think that's almost the, the bigger issue is that when when we have got everybody healthy, it seems like Welbeck is, is most often the, the guy who comes off the bench first. And that means that, you know, there's room to vary depending on opponent, depending on games, but your, your time becomes very limited. Um, so, I, you know, being... 
realistic. I think if you were in his position, you probably might think about other teams and other opportunities where you're going to go and start. Because there's plenty of teams that would start start Walcott every week. Yeah, Plenty of pretty good teams that start Walcott every week. He's one of those players who, uh, you know, this is obviously influenced by the fact that I write about Italian football and focus on Italian football a lot. But he's one of those players who I could imagine going to one of the bigger teams in Italy, you know, the in that category, Juventus, Roma, Lazio, and having an incredible impact over there because speed is still, you know, it's a less common commodity. And that's a big part of why Jovino was able to go over and have such immediate success. Um, I think that, I think he could have a really interesting experience going and doing that if he wanted to do it. Equally, he could go to another club in the Premier League and start. But I think that that would be a, I think a a more interesting career-wise, a more interesting move for him to go and go and try something like that. Mm. It's hard to imagine him doing it, but you know, you'd like it would be great to see more English players go abroad. I, I suppose the money is the thing, though, isn't it? It's not so yeah. much the fear of the cultural experience or opening yourself to uh, to new styles of football, but the the sheer money involved in the Premier League makes it very difficult for anybody who's at the top level. Maybe it's your, your mid level or whatever. Uh, you know, you're not taking such a big hit, but but money wise. He's not going to get anything close, is he? Unless he goes like top, top, close. No, I mean this. You know, and this is a this is a big uh, a big issue for for players uh, making that move. It's exactly what you say. You know, you've got and this actually came up uh, with someone I was talking to not long ago who was uh, telling me you know the average Premier League wage is somewhere in the sort of thirty thousand pound week mark. Now in Italy, there's maybe four or five teams that are paying that. Uh, maybe not even that many that are paying on it as a sort of average wage. And then there's a few, you know, maybe a couple of teams below that who are paying that sort of wage to, to, to maybe a little bit above that wage, but, you know, to, to their best players. And it's, you know, it is a much, much thinner market. There's a very small number of clubs that you could make yourself available to. That said, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't, uh, you can't still find those spots in those teams. I mean, Carlos Tevez is a prime example. He's not a man who is, been shy about getting paid in his career and he's gone to Juventus and he's got paid and you know fair play to him because he's also worked his butt off and he's playing extremely well so there's there's opportunities to do it um I think if you want to do it I guess the the question question with with Walcott is are people going to make that same uh, commitment to a player who has had injuries and who hasn't actually had the the level of career success that Tevez has. Sure. On the other hand, he has years on his side. He's still, you know, he's still not an old man, which is something that uh, Italian clubs often do find themselves in this position of having to take those players when they get to thirty or a little bit older. And so, the opportunity to take a move, uh, you know, a punt on someone like that, in the same way that Roma did with Jovino, is a, uh, you know, it's an opportunity. Mm. All right. Well, we'll see how that plays out. Very finally, um, hold on Monday, of course. So we've got a weekend free of football. Um, have their last two results, is that good for, for Arsenal in the sense that they were very, very much deep in the mire? They're still not completely out of trouble by a long way, but the the fact that they've beaten Crystal Palace, the fact that they beat Liverpool, um, takes some of the pressure off them and makes their their quest for points not quite as desperate as it was. And I can see that argument, but I think I probably am inclined to think that a team that's, that's just beaten Liverpool, which, you know, it's just I don't know. I think that probably the, the any effect of that is offset by the, the sort of the confidence boost and the 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 sense of self belief that they'll get from that. I think if they've won a couple of games and you know they can they feel like they can carry that on, they might even be a little bit loose. So I don't know that it's necessarily a, a big benefit to Arsenal that they've um, that they've won those games. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, still 
you have to expect Arsenal to go and win the game because again, Arsenal have been playing well enough to beat teams much better than Hull lately. So I, you know, I would expect them to win, but I don't know if I, I don't know if I would buy that those wins necessarily change the dynamic of it much. All right, okay. Listen, Paolo, uh, thank you very much as always, and we'll chat to you again soon. Cheers, Andrew. Right, you can find Paolo on Twitter at Paolo Bandini. No, no, you can't. You can find at Paolo Bandini at Paolo Bandini, but the one that I was just talking to is at Paolo underscore Bandini. The underscore being important here because that's what differentiates him from the other guy who is not him, who probably signs our Paolo up for emails and things that he's wondering why he doesn't get. I should have checked that out. Maybe there's a support group or something. Right. Looking ahead to the weekend. Well, we're facing a weekend of football austerity because we're not playing until Monday. But obviously other games are going on. Stuff that might affect us or might, you know, change our outlook on things. Manchester United playing West Brom on Saturday evening. That's uh, that's interesting, I guess. Pulis versus Van Hal. There's a clash of the, the Titans right there. Hopefully they come together like a pair of, of rotting stags only with uh, poison antlers. So by the end of the 90 minutes, they're just lying on their backs, frothing at the mouth. Maybe there'll be a vet in the crowd. He could come on and save them or whatever. But, you know, that that's what's going on on Saturday. Sunday, then, Chelsea can win the title if they beat Crystal Palace. But I don't think Chelsea are counting on Yaya Sonogo, who could keep Arsenal in it with a hat-trick, John Terry sending off, Ivanovic sending off, Gary Cahill sending off. All of them sent off, basically. That would be good. That would be good. But uh, unlikely. Unlikely. And then there's Tottenham versus Manchester City. Um, And you kind of go, come on, it would be good for us if Tottenham could get something from that game, which is exactly why you know that they will get sweet fuck all. Nothing. Not even a draw. It won't even be competitive. Manchester City, you have been a bag of shit for about six weeks or three months or some time right now, will suddenly discover, hey, wow, we can play football again. Thanks, Tottenham. You're pals. And Tottenham will just be all like, well, you know, that's kind of what we do. We're expecting it. So that'll be 5 or 8 nil, Man City. And then, of course, we play Hull on Sunday. The only team news that we have is Matthew Debushi is out, probably, because he's picked up a hamstring strain in training. Um, I'm sure the 120 minutes against Reading didn't do him any favours either, but nevertheless, he's out. We still have Hector, though. Hector Bellerin. Um, he's going to play, and, uh, well, you know, you can't really have any worries when you've got Hector in the side. That's that's my new philosophy. When Hector's there, we don't have a care or something. I'm just saying I quite like Hector. That's that's all. Don't base your life on this philosophy or, or anything like that. Don't set up a cult, the cult of Hector. Just don't. People are too easily persuaded these days. So, look, we have got that game in hand, of course. So dependent on what the others do, uh, you know, we'll stay in touch um, and hopefully we can pick up those those extra points when we play that game in hand against whoever it is. I don't know when it is. When do we play our game in hand? Oh, I think it could be, I think it could be against Sunderland in a few weeks' time, in mid-May perhaps. Uh, but we'll, I'll check that out at some point. It's not important right now. It's not happening next week. So look, let's just concentrate on beating Hull, who we've... Um, 
We've made hard work of in the last two games against them. You might remember it was an injury time equaliser from Danny Welbeck that saved us a point at home in a second half, which was, oh, that was as dismal as it got for us this season. In terms of our performances, the way we played, it was woeful. But Welbeck saved us after a great Alexis run, and then the previous time, you might remember that whole 2-0 down at Wembley thing before we came back to you know, win the cup. That was good. Uh, but we don't have to make it hard for ourselves against this crowd. So uh, let's make sure that uh, we do the job as efficiently as we can, keep this run going, and um, we'll uh, we'll just take it from there. James and I will be here on Tuesday, not Monday, uh, because what's the point? No point in me and James being here. I mean, we could, but, you know, it would be fruitless, really. So we'll be here on Tuesday to discuss the uh, the game against Hull on the Arscast Extra. We'll bring you all the bits and bobs on that. And uh, we'll have your questions and all the usual bits and pieces. So until then, um, have yourselves a great weekend, even though there isn't any Arsenal. Uh, I'll chat to you over the weekend and, of course, uh, on the Arscast Extra on Tuesday. So until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Uh, obviously, Trev uh, must be very disappointed with the result tonight. It's not gone your way. Yeah, obviously, uh, very disappointed. Um, played some good stuff, but the goals just didn't come. And at this level, that's uh, that's always going to cost you. Uh, obviously, you must be uh, very proud of your players. And uh, we here in the press, we're, we like them too. They've done very well this season. Oh, you, you think so, do you? You don't remember... Writing things about them in the past. Well, yeah, but I think we've been very, uh, you know, um, not not too critical. Well, then you must be very silly, or really, really silly. I don't, I don't think that's fair. Really. Well, we, we've sat here in press conferences, and you've said things, and I've answered, and I know, I'll, I'll defend my players to the last. But I just don't see. Uh, 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 uh. Well, your problem is, is that you're a giraffe. What? Are you a giraffe? Not the last time I looked, anyway. Do you have an enormously long neck that can reach up to the branches and eat leaves off the trees for sustenance? I don't think you do. I'm the one with the gigantic neck. I can eat the leaves. You can't. So you're not a giraffe. I think the point he's making, Trev, is that you kind of taken his question up the wrong way. 
Well, you know, you would say that. Why is that then? Well, because you're a red panda. What? Sitting there with your red panda face and your fur all over your body. What, what are you even doing covering football? You should be in Nepal and southern China, not in a press conference. Trev, Trev, it's Bobby Savage here, former footballer, currently working for, like, loads of people, inexplicably because I'm fucking shit at what I do. Um, what animal would you say I am? Well, uh, Bobby, if I had to uh, compare you to any animal, it would be the dodo. Why is that? Because you, you think I'm a bit stupid? No, mate, because uh, you're about to be extinct. Now, come here, you fucking... Don't, don't kill me! Don't kill me! Leave me alone! Shall we help him? Fuck the cunt. Let's go for a pint. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 